Hello, and thank you for joining us here at Therapy Unwound, the space that is here for all of us to take a deep dive into the fantastic world of therapeutics. Thank you so much for following us on YouTube, Spotify, and Instagram. It's been so good to get to know you over on the platforms. And if you haven't already, please do follow us there so we can get to know you as well. If you'd like to support the struggle here at the podcast, then please head over to Ko-Fi and sponsor a coffee or three for the team. We really appreciate it and thank you in advance. Today, we are joined by the wonderful Elizabeth Silver, who is here to talk about all things yummy. We're talking food, nutrition, all the good stuff. So grab a cup of tea, take a seat and join us for the next half hour. the space that is here for all of us to take a deep dive into the wonderful world of therapeutics. My name is Jenny Walker and I'm your host today and I am joined today with Elizabeth Silver. Hello. Hello Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking about this for a while haven't we? Yeah we have. Yeah. Excellent and can you just tell everybody what you do what your passion's about, and you're all about your Instagram story. Um, yeah, so what I do currently is I'm a dance fitness instructor, so I teach dance as a form of exercise to groups of people. Yeah. Um, I qualified about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and so that's been my occupation for the last 10, 11 years. But the food has always been my thing, so I'm actually a qualified cook, professional cook, cordon bleu standard, and never stopped cooking even though teaching has been predominant in my life I've always carried on cooking for people creating recipes testing recipes and off the back of that dipping into social media because we can't escape it have set up an Instagram page really to start a food blog to share my knowledge my recipes and take nice pictures I was gonna say and your passion for photography so Everybody out there, if you want to go to Elizabeth Silver Food on Instagram, you will come across the most beautiful, I have it in front of me, it's scroll worthy completely. And um, I have to say, the thing I love about your photographs, is they're so bright. Thank you. They're just really bright and sunny and happy. Tell us about how you found your style in photography. Um, Well, it's really interesting how it's come around, actually, because back in the day when I was first left food college Mm. and finding employment I was the one who would turn up at the professional photographers for studio with the food and someone else would take the picture of it yeah so I didn't necessarily have to actually be doing the photography myself Mm. um obviously I was aware of what they were looking at as you know lighting exposure yeah that kind of thing but my main focus was making the food look as good as possible and styling the food and the props so the whole thing with social media is that I have the possibility now to work from home. Mm. I can create my own recipes yeah. and then I take my own picture of my own recipes. So it's quite a big learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, I've enjoyed photography and with smartphones, you get a really good camera in the yeah. phone. So I've enjoyed just using that to take snaps while I'm out walking, take pictures of flowers in my mm. garden, that sort of thing. So to actually look at it from a food perspective is is a new thing for me. Yeah. So I'm now not just looking at it as I've created this recipe. And the way it came around 
recently is that I got the possibility to work with a a globally known food photographer who is five minutes away from me, and she asked me to she collaborate. I asked me to collaborate with her. Yeah, um, that I would prepare the food for the photographs, and she'd do the photography. Yeah, so it was fantastic because it was taking me back to what I used to do mm. every day and get paid for. And I've been out of the food business in that sense for a number of years. Obviously, mm. doing my t- had a family, doing my teaching, dance, fitness teaching. Yeah, I remember you going through that stage and kind of like going, yeah, this is familiar. I know this. I'm confident in this. And just getting, seeing you go back into your habitat as the, in the kitchen and just loving kind of like rolling your knives out again and just looking at those products and those that produce and working out how best to deliver that in a visual concept. I just, I saw you bloom through that process. It was amazing. Yeah, so it was re- really interesting. I mean, for, for me personally, it was a huge opportunity mm. like I say I've over the years if I'm not being paid to create food in a test kitchen yeah. for a major retailer etc I've always kept my skills I've cooked for private dinner parties mm. I've done community lunches I've done the odd cookery demonstration and she's fed your humble host a few times as well and I have to say they're the best dinners going your mushroom risotto is memorable for many reasons well I am going to throw that back and say that um, <laughs> equally you have fed me some beautiful meals as well <laughs> Liz and I have an absolute aff- affiliation about food and we've sat down many times and talked about it haven't we and I, the thing that really excites me about hearing you talk about food is how it brings conversation and community to people so could you just fill us in on how you find food brings us into community and feeds us all oh I love that question well I think sharing a meal together is the most inherent human instinct that we have isn't mm. it to be hospitable even if it's the simplest offering of some bread cheese and a good glass of wine yeah uh, there's nothing like it just for drawing people together and and bonding in that sense over a shared meal yeah and uh, that's always been my focus really is not trying to be fancy I'm not trying to set myself up to be things that I'm not but knowing the benefit of it's a it's a good feeling it feeds my soul to create something lovely which someone else sits down to eat and they go that looks amazing and then they enjoy the actual eating of it and hopefully it's going to be food that nourishes their body Mm. with nutrients but also you get the nourishment of the soul through the conversation yeah invariably flows I remember talking to you about soup once and we were talking about how you know good homemade stock good quality ingredients nothing too fancy yeah getting it in you and how that can heal Mm. and how it heals your cellular structure but also your emotional structure as well yeah and I was wondering if you could let us in on how you see food has changed since you were in the kitchens working with the food development and now and how food fashion, for want of a better phrase, has changed. That's so interesting because I was thinking about that a lot recently, actually, Mm. and I probably class myself as not an old fashioned type of cook, but probably classical. Yeah. And we certainly, I mean, I grew up, my childhood was in the 70s Mm. and we didn't have much money and there was always a household budget. And actually the foods that were available were really quite limited. No Rose Harissa. No Rose Harissa. (laughs) Certainly no um, pesto sauce and Parmesan was dried and, well, we all know what that smelled like. So 
Um, my childhood uh, experience of eating was certainly nutritious, but within limits. Mm. And there wasn't the availability of ingredients. So I, th- I mean, olive oil even would have been a, a very rare commodity. Wow. So it's really interesting for me, for someone who's gone through food college yeah. and worked as um, a private cook, a private chef, worked in the food retailing industry, just seeing how along my journey I've seen new ingredients come in, which I've been asked to be involved in and create recipes for, packaging recipes, mm. editorial recipes. So using ingredients which 10 years previously hadn't even been heard of um, and certainly weren't, weren't on our supermarket shelves. And where did you discover the new flavours and how to meld them? Because I can imagine it's quite a big thing to be given, say, preserved lemons come to mind. They haven't been on our supermarket shelves. You've been asked to develop a recipe for that. How? What process do you go through for finding out what that flavour is and what it's married to? Well, it's based on some knowledge anyway. So certainly if you have some sort of formal training, chef training, cook training, whatever you want to call it, you're going to start to know the basics. You've got the basic techniques, you've got your basic flavors. And once you you know those, that's when you can start to get creative Mm. because then you know what potentially goes with what and you can start to try things out. And obviously we've seen more and more slightly wacky yeah, um, <laughs> you know, interesting combinations, and people got more and more adventurous because mm. we've got more and more ingredients to play with. So I think it's just having a basic knowledge of tech, good technique, good food prep technique, good skill base. I think is really yeah. important, and then just starting to understand flavor and go back to some of the really classic cookery books. You know, go back okay. to Mrs. Beaton, go back to Larousse, go back to Elizabeth David, and read them, read what mm. they were doing, and that's really interesting historically as well. So you just start to build all of that. It's just like this big pot of information which you can then yeah. call on. And then once you know your your basic recipes, so mm-hmm. you might have, obviously, say, cake with baking, you, you've got to be specific on ingredients and in quantities. It has to be specific, otherwise your end result won't work. But you can still play around with flavours, you can still play around with spices, etc. You know, say you're doing a little bit more freeform cooking, like a stir fry or uh, some kind of one pot meal. Yeah. You know, there's there's a whole range of things you can do. Once you kind of know the the, the basics of building up flavor, adding in flavors, um, cooking times, all that sort of thing, the world is your oyster, <laughs> and you can get as extreme as you wish to, or stay classic. So that being said, I would imagine, and actually we've never talked about this which surprises me now it comes to mind, is what's your feeling about home economics in schools? Well, (laughs) I think it's quite sad that it actually doesn't exist anymore. Mm. I know it's seen as quite an old-fashioned subject. Yeah. Probably sounds really old-fashioned. I mean, that's what I I did. I did home economics. um, But within that, I got all sorts of qualifications. Mm. Um, I got my cook's professional Cordon Blur exam, I got public speaking exam um, and various other qualifications. And what it taught me is a huge amount, actually, of a good balanced diet. So Mm. some basic nutrition. uh, And by the way, you do need butter just for anybody out there. (laughs) Butter is the base ingredient for my kitchen anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that. I do love it. 
do love a bit of butter, but there are other alternatives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, it's one of those. I think butter, lemon, garlic, and other, they're sort of basic ingredients yeah. you, you can't live without. Um, I mean, home economics is just such a practically based course. And I mean, it taught you, teaches you how to cook, teaches you how to plan your home finances. Mm. It teaches, and it, you know, this is a bizarre thing to say, but it taught people how to clean a house. Yeah. How to organize a, a fridge and all of those things. They're, they're not taught it. I don't know exactly what the curriculum is now, but certainly you wouldn't go off and just prepare for, to make a dish. It's now how you have to find the structures of how to make that dish, what mm. what particular implements you might need. Whereas we were obviously taught to make a dish from scratch, then you start to put it into a meal and then you start to put it into a menu and you plan out all your timings. So it actually what happens is it flows. That If you are cooking for four people, you're doing two courses, it, it becomes an easy thing. It's not like a massive deal. And then you obviously just scale that up. Yeah. And you think, in a, in a well-balanced diet that's what I was taught to eat a well-balanced diet and if you stick with that you can't really go wrong I think you're right and the, I mean I remember being I'm also old old school home ec was it was definitely a, a triple subject at school and I remember everything from kind of like how much is that meal going to cost you which allowed you to do a rough guesstimate of how much food bill was going to be for the week and how you could kind of like make dinner into lunch and you could do kind of like refries and all the rest of it yeah but the thing that really I was blessed with which is exactly what you've said is timings so dinner parties were never actually an issue and I had the dishwasher on before the guests came and it was just like you could time that and make it pleasurable yes and I think that's somehow lost in the kind of like all the recipe books and you have these amazing kind of like recipes in front of you but how do you put that together yeah to make an experience to bring community together yeah exactly um well it's it's a blessing isn't it, in a way isn't it the abundance of flavors and ingredients and world cuisines that we now have at our fingertips but in terms of practical of what you say have as your store cupboard ingredients how far do you go you know, do you have every single flavoring for Japanese cuisine or Chinese or your Vietnamese or Italian or French? And, you know, you can go on and on. And there are so many ingredients available now. It's like whittling it down as to what you want to have as your staple store cupboard ingredients. And that if you just say, look at a recipe book or look on the Internet for your inspiration, it can actually, I think, feel quite daunting. Mm. There's so much possibility. Yeah. It's like. Let's start with the basics, hone those, and from that you've got a massive building block. I mean, I always think, I don't know if it sounds a bit cheesy, but if you teach someone to play the piano, they're not going to become a concert pianist straight away. They, You've got to give them the technique, um, they've got to do the practice, they've got to do the scales, etc. They may have in them a possibility, like the musical soul, to be a concert pianist. Yeah. But if you provide anyone with those basic building blocks... yeah. Even if they haven't got that extra X factor, they could still be an incredible musician and performer. Perfect. And I think that's, and I do think that's the same with food. Mm. Um, how can you be lavish and exuberant in the kitchen if you actually don't know just how to chop an onion properly or, you know, caramel, uh, so, saute off some onion and garlic to get the flavor and then you add in whatever it is you're doing? I was watching a Netflix program, which shall not be named, and they were encouraging organisation 
And they looked at a fridge and organized it in rainbow colors. And I was wondering if you could tell us how you would organize a fridge, because for me, that was kind of like, surely the letter shouldn't go at the top. <laughs> it's like, do you have a way of organizing your kitchen that allows you to be more productive and for food to last longer? And do you have any tips and tricks? Wow, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I think there are ways of organizing the fridge. I mean, there are very obvious ones that you wouldn't store your raw uncooked food above your cooked food. So I hope that's something that no one would do. Um, so I would certainly, I mean, I was at college. Yeah. I was cool, clean and covered. They're the three C's. Oh, I cool, know. clean yeah, so and covered. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and so that's a raw basic, but this is like such basic stuff. But maybe mm. actually these are the little things that have been lost in time. That If sometimes you do open, open up people's, and it looks haphazard yeah and actually maybe not even very hygienically um kept yeah so i was certainly yeah keep salad and salad produce in the salad drawer which is totally tucked away and then always keep anything raw uncooked um on the bottom of the fridge and keep it covered so you there's no possibility it could drip onto something that is cooked because okay. there you've got a um cross-contamination brilliant I think it's those little basic things that we just forget about, don't know about. Yeah. And also I look in my fridge, for example, is tiny. I've got a very small kitchen. It's but it I have to say it's the best kitchen I've ever had, but it is tiny. But my fridge can always often look quite chaotic and it stops the creativity for cooking. Interesting. And visually, I yeah. think the amount of clutter in your fridge or your cupboards can be quite daunting yeah. in a way. And stops that free flow yeah. of cooking. I think one of the, uh, again, maybe it's this whole principle of simplicity, not overloading your fridge with all the possibility of all these different ingredients. And maybe this comes back to the planning that you start the week, you, you have an idea of the meals that you want to eat, mm. you plan them out, stick within a budget, you know what you've got in your store cupboard, and maybe one meal might spawn some leftovers, which then allow you to create a meal from what's in the fridge, what's mm. in the store cupboard. Um, I believe it's called rechauffe cookery. So mm. it's like you're using leftovers. And there you've, then, you, then you're, so you're using things up as well. I think it's very easy just to um, not use up food, not use I'm up totally these leftovers. Of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing, actually. Again, if you've got your building blocks of skill, technique, flavor combinations, mm. it's amazing then what you can, how you can look at, say, five ingredients. You've got some perhaps some leftover protein, some meat, and you've got some spices, you could maybe quarter of a bag of rice in your cupboard. Oh, how can I put that together? And before you know it, you might have some nuts, you might have some pulses, some half a pepper. You've actually got a really well-balanced, rounded, nutritious meal, and it's all from what's what's in your cupboard in your fridge. Brilliant. So if you, can't, if you know what's in your fridge, if you, if you are aware of it, it's not all jam-packed in, and there's some order and structure allows you to view it much more easily yes because then it becomes a tool yes you then don't have to rummage through and then it becomes that becomes an issue that's hard work and it's much easier to view if you've got some a particular place you mm. you know eggs are always at the bottom therefore i know i've always got a box with some eggs in i've always got eggs there as a possibility um if things are not all hidden on obscure plates at yeah. the back <laughs> 
things don't then get lost, it's much easier to access. I suppose it's like a cupboard of clothes. If it's some order and structure, it's much easier to see what you've got and then it's easier to decide what you want to wear. I'm totally biased on this question, though, because um, last weekend I had some green goo kind of like coming down the back of my fridge. And on excavation... I won't ask what that is. <laughs> it was a baby cucumber that had oh, kind wow. of like gone so far down the kind of like glutinous route. It just invested the whole fridge. The whole thing had to be stripped out and kind of like done. So the fridge is a personal kind of like ouch point right now. <laughs> So it's like, remember your baby cucumber. Definitely. Yeah, they can go really soft. I was going to say, if you'd found it before it got to that really soft yeah. stage, I'd have perfect recipe hack for using cucumber. Gin? <laughs> well, yeah. yes, or flavoured water. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it's got to the point where it's lost that lovely crispness to it, yeah. you peel off the skin, scoop out the seeds, chop it into nice thick slices, yeah. knob of butter in a pan, or if you're, if you're not eating butter, maybe it's olive oil or some little bit of coconut oil. And you just saute the cucumber off, warm it through, so yeah. like hot cucumber, and throw in some herbs, dill, chives, mm. a bit of tarragon, whatever you've got, just finely chopped, some yeah. seasoning, and a spoonful or two of creme fraiche. And you have the perfect complement to particularly fish, but would be great with some chicken. In my um, head, I was pork. thinking toast. Well, there we go. <laughs> See, <laughs> like, put that on some toast and I'm really there. <laughs> yeah, it could be good on toast. <laughs> <laughs> so we were kind of like, we've been talking for a while now. I mean, Liz actually did give me the best technique for sandwiches ever. Get your spreads to the edge. Every time I just hear your voice, spread to the edge. Um, and I've seen you develop through kind of like the social media platforms and your photography. And I was just wondering how you found the transition from our conversations about our love, our mutual love for food and how your social media has been accepted online and how you've negotiated coming into a space that is loaded with opinion. It's challenging mm. because it opens up a whole new world of where it is actually quite saturated with a lot of people doing the same thing. Yeah. And not everybody not that they don't deserve the voice, but some people have more credibility for the voice they have in, I think, in a social media sense. Mm. So, but again, it comes with challenges that if you offer something out there, yeah, is it good enough? Am I good enough? And the whole comparison thing comes in and will anyone be bothered to look at it? Um, is it interesting enough? Have I got that little, that slight difference that makes mine stand out a bit more? So all of those, mm. all of those things come into play. I mean, for me personally, because I'm still building it, it's still it's quite still quite new. Yeah. But I am finding my style. But I I felt quite strongly that after food college and then all the jobs I did, and I did lots of different jobs within the food industries, mm. and I've you know some were some were proper apprenticeship jobs like yeah. hardcore, hard graft, painful feet, really painful, <laughs> really painful in terms of just being in you know, out of my comfort zone, yeah. big time, a lot of it out of my comfort zone, a lot of knowledge. And I think I've underestimated actually how much knowledge and skill I have. And I, I don't want that to sound boastful, but I realise I've actually got quite a lot to offer, yeah. quite a lot to give absolutely, and share. And it felt right for me to be putting myself out there in that yeah. sense. But it was a big step forward because like I say, there are lots of people out there doing what I'm doing. Mm. And some are 
hugely well qualified. Yeah. And then others, they yeah. still have a voice, but perhaps it's not backed up with the grounding. Or, exactly. Yeah. It's that grounding yeah. that you offer. and Yeah. And I can say that my recipes work. So if you take one of my recipes, yeah. it is has been will have been tested it has been used it is something that i've done or and they have been tasted (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully they're you know they're going to work for people yeah and i want to just share some of what i know i love seeing you share your joy and your passion i think that's the thing that gets me every time it's like the enjoyment of food is this good i'm not gonna lie we love food (laughs) i mean is it wrong of me to say i don't know how much you know it's not wrong at all okay so I didn't just take up dance fitness to teach dance fitness I took it up so it fitted in with my life at the time with Mm. young children and it was something again it was a passion I had but it allows me to enjoy my food yeah for sure it gives me fit and it helps you know I know what it does for my participants too but I'm realistic I, I I can't I love my food I mean I really enjoy eating out I love the whole experience of it I love the ceremony Mm. I love the joy of opening up a good bottle of wine and having nice wine glasses yeah. there. I love the expectancy that you have. And I like just having a, a beautiful table, having lovely napkins. Yeah. All of that's all part of it. So for me to keep fit and it allows me to have that, have that enjoyment. Because I think for me, it's part, it's an important part of life. Yeah. Um, like we touched on earlier, it, it's that whole sharing a meal having lovely long conversations over a meal with people yeah. and how people open up over a meal actually as well. I love and it. I, and I just find that is so enjoyable and yeah. it's a, a huge element of good quality life. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to spend lots of money. You can keep things really simple, but it's all those elements are, mm. are crucial. I think it's right to add in the health point of that. I work with Alice Turrell, who's my personal trainer. I know you see a personal trainer as well. Yes. And um, I love the fact that I know I've done enough work work, working out to not worry about the butter that's going on the cracker that I'm about to have. There's that lovely kind of like I've worked equally hard to enjoy this. So the the pleasure and the work go hand in hand, I think. And that's also what I know we've enjoyed talking about also is just kind of like this is all about health yeah you know our enjoyment about food comes with our enjoyment of health and knowing that our cardiovascular system is working really well yeah and um getting that balance is quite tricky for people and i was just wondering if you could both your skill sets actually offer our listeners some advice about how to, to strike that balance between food and health and getting that balance it's an interesting one um I think it's being aware of obviously the foods that you're eating Mm. um, and there are so many apps available now that help you calorie count, that help you track, do food diaries, track, etc. Which is, I think there's a lot of of, uh, good stuff in that. It's a good good exercise to do, definitely, without becoming obsessive by it. Mm. Because there's always a possibility you you sort of tip then into becoming so extreme that I'm calorie counting that there's no enjoyment it just becomes an exercise Mm. so it's always that fine balance of enjoying life but being realistic as well yeah so um and some people get very technical about it and like all the stats and then others will just do it in a loose way but know somehow it's all evening out yeah i think it's just being aware of 
you know, if you overconsume calories and you don't burn them, you you will put weight on. Yeah. So how you how you approach that is obviously individual. Mine's very loosely. <laughs> well, you look very well on it. <laughs> so do you. Thank you. Um, and I was wondering how. I mean, I've noticed a difference in your social media posts over the last couple of years, actually. And um, you posted this week about a beautiful looking lemon cake that was totally appropriate for celiacs. Yes. And I don't think I would have seen that from you two years ago. How has mm. your skill set changed and evolved to the new, well, not new, but to a um, more holistic diet that is out there for the general population? Yeah, it's a good question because, like I say, I, I probably class myself as quite a tra- traditional cook and mm. I had a lot of emphasis on baking. I, I worked for Rank Hovis McDougall, so I spent a lot of time product developing uh, food for the flour range yeah. that they had. So, and it, at that time, it was very um, traditional. We didn't have gluten free, and we didn't have um, the whole range of flours that there are now. And so, it's, it's, it's causing me, it's making me think outside my box. Yeah, because there is more. There are more and more people for various reasons, whether it's choice or whether it is for health reasons that they cannot eat certain foods so it's been good for me uh so i've i'm quite enjoying it actually because again i can use all of my technique all of my knowledge Mm. but i'm just using ingredients in a different way and and you know there are lots and lots of people out there who are expert bakers of gluten-free flours Mm. etc they're the ones to follow don't follow me but i'm i'm enjoying the journey of of actually growing my knowledge of it because I've got more and more friends and people I know and people I potentially especially if I'm sharing my recipes as a I want to share to everyone that I need to be able to do these and be confident and say look this really works and you could try this flavor combination and that will work too so I'm enjoying it rather than going I don't want I'm not even going to look at it and it's 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 not something I want to do I'm shall embrace it wonderful um, there's a subject that comes up a lot in our coffee meetings between Sophie and I, and it's about shame. And it's a theme that has kind of been with us for a good six months or so. And I was personally felt quite, I wasn't shamed by the person. I wouldn't go that far, but I, I felt quite mm, like there was a moment where I thought, oh, and I was standing in the local coffee line. We're recording this just as we come out of lockdown. So we were standing outside. It was freezing cold. I was ordering a latte and the guy making the coffee said, oh, is that regular milk? And I said, yeah, that's fine. And the person looked at me and said, oh, I thought you would have gone for almond. And it's just like, uh, hang on. <laughs> Why am I feeling ashamed for going for the regular milk? I hate almond milk. And I was just wondering if you've got any advice for people who actually just really like regular food and how to hold our ground with that. Yes, well, it's it's very topical, isn't mm. it? Um, that looking at the carbon footprints of vegetarian, vegan, and regular diets. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not an expert on that. It's a really fascinating subject, and obviously, we're going to be addressing it more and more. Yeah. Um, as it becomes more and more important, I think for me, because I, th- I I'm a bit like you. For me personally, I love milk. I love butter. I love cream. Mm. I like. I enjoy meat. Yeah. But I'm just being more careful about how much I consume yeah. and the quality of what I buy. Yes. So I think 
certainly and off the back of lockdown as well i think i hope that if you know people will continue to eat butter and cream yeah. and, and eat meat and poultry that actually we're looking more and more at the quality of it the source of it mm. and hopefully encouraging people to look to small producers local producers as well yeah. so i personally i don't eat meat all the time i would rather eat it less yeah. but when i do i will look to a small producer local producer know that it's perhaps grass-fed beef it's not raised on antibiotics etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so supporting someone local local farmer mm. local producer local yeah. breeder and it's going to be the best quality that i can eat yeah perfect and just have less of it brilliant and i th- and i hope i that will be the ethos but it's it's like turning a an oil tanker it really is this is going to take a long time because there's still there's there's room for all of these diets yeah if people choose to have a, a vegan diet that's is their choice and that's yeah. rightly so should still have the choice of being able to have regular milk in our coffee without it being an eyebrow raise yeah. by someone standing behind you in the queue. I was really shocked by it. It was mm. kind of like one of those moments where I thought, oh, this is a this is a thing that's now not just like an ethereal conversation that we hear on TED anymore. It's kind of like this is really in a coffee queue and yeah. kind of going, oh, it's like I it was a moment for me. Interesting. And I've thought a lot about exactly that. Smaller producers, you know, locally produced stuff and and I think it's totally right to back our British farmers. And yeah. though we need to really support them right now, especially yeah. as we come out of lockdown. And we have a lot of really incredible small producers around. Um, you know, do. if you look at farm shops as well, there's lots, mm. especially now, they're becoming more and more common. Definitely get down to them. Um, it doesn't have to be like an everyday part of the diet, but, but you, if you're going to have a Sunday roast, have that joint of beef that's from your local beef stock absolutely beautiful and i think it's just again it's just tweaking the diet so every day every week if you're not a vegetarian you may have a vegetarian a vegetable based dish yeah and then you might have a a fish based dish one day and so meat becomes less but if you still enjoy it it's there in your diet but it is as i said before it's it's the best quality you can buy and as we come to a close today um I'm going to let the listeners in to a big dream you've had for a while, which is opening a tea shop. Yes. Linen napkins. Yeah. China cups. (laughs) I can't wait to visit. (laughs) And we're rolling into summer here as we record this. And I was wondering if you could give us some beautiful tips and tricks on how to do the best cream tea to celebrate summer. That's put me on the spot, hasn't it? <laughs> I thought I'd just jump that on you. <laughs> what would be the key ingredients for the best cream tea? Well, if I think it has to be the scone. Sick. I do, I must admit. Um, again, if you're looking for gluten-free mm. flour, there's lots of really good flours out there now. So all of, the, all of these classic baked goods um, you can make in a gluten-free version yeah. if you wish to. Um, I think just really, yeah, really good quality, freshly baked scone that's still warm. Yeah. And you've got to have clotted cream and a really good quality jam. Beautiful sandwiches, mm. uh, whatever flavouring, they've got to be as fresh as possible. I have been to too many cream teas in quite highbrow places. And let's put it this way, sandwiches tend to be a bit dried and curled around the edges. It's and, curly edges. Yeah. Just, it's not okay, guys. 
<laughs> so just really, really fresh, best ingredients, as fresh, um, you know, made as near as to serving as possible. Yeah. Um, and champagne, good quality tea, loose tea, good quality champagne. Um, I mean, in terms of my the dream that I've had, yeah, it's it's a champagne tea room. It would be not out of reach of people, but it would yeah. be not just a little tea room that you pop into. It would be a kind of bookable place. It would be a treat. It would be an experience. And I mean, my my dream is there. And this is where I'm, I have to open up myself to alternatives because of gluten-free diets, etc., yeah. that that would have to be part of of the of what I offer. Yeah. So um it would be obviously classic baked goods, but along with gluten free varieties as well. And I those options. That. And again, I mean it, you know, I'm thinking of locally produced produce. Um I say champagne, yeah, but we've got some fantastic vineyards locally who are offering better and better quality sparkling white wine and and that's the kind of thing i would love to mm. do is just go and source their products sell you know offer them in in my champagne tea room so i can honestly say it's local produce and it's the freshest and seasonal produce as well i love the whole and i think that's this is one of the things that i've been thinking of more and more with the instagram blog is actually seasonal produce yeah just what's there even in foraging foraging for wild edible flowers it's all that sort of thing it just starts to makes you think let's let's just be really careful about not buying food all the time any time of the year let's mm. just start to look at the seasons what's available locally and how can i use that in a really inventive way wonderful well thank you so much for your time today thank you very much and thank you guys for listening it's been a pleasure to bring liz into the studio and share such a passion um it's just and i love seeing your face throughout this it just beams with enthusiasm it's fantastic thank you very much jenny oh anytime and guys if you want to join us on bookery book of the month then please do it would be great to have you join along and this month we're looking at james clear's book on atomic habits so if you want to go to his website and um, order the book from there or your indie bookshop who have been keeping us in novel ideas throughout the whole of lockdown and the pandemic um then please do join us in a couple of weeks for our bookery book of the month and it's atomic habits by james clear thank you to jeremy for producing today it's been great to be here and we look forward to the next episode of therapy unwound take care guys bye